Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. The book of Galatians is a gospel clarifying letter that unpacks the richness and completeness of what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. It clearly defines what the gospel is and is not for its readers. It helps us realize the depths of God's love for us in a life of relationship and obedience to Him in His power. Please continue listening for today's message. Okay, good evening, church. Um, Today, the reading is going to be taken from Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 until 9. All right. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. You'll see that verse that snuck in there at the end, verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And we did add it in because we're going to come back to that. So hi everybody, Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Louise and uh, it's a great privilege to be here tonight. This is actually our first time in the evening meeting this year, Alan and I, and so I thought I would just take a little gap to introduce myself, because you don't know me from above, so most of you. So Alan and I, um, we've been married for 21 years um, this year, and the reason why that's significant is that we've also been part of Common Ground Church for 21 years. Our marriage relationship and our Common Ground relationship are the same length of time, and um, we serve on the leadership team here, I'm on the staff team as well, um, and I I always think of this congregation, like this meeting, quite affectionately as like I'm the older sister. Hey? And then I had a conversation with Zoe the other day. Um, we were in, we were having lunch together, 
And uh, Zoe told me that I'm the same age as her actual mother. And so <laughs> then I realized, okay, I'm not really the, the older sister, I'm more like the auntie, or um, for some of you, I am like a mother. So um, you know, I am feeling very old. It's also one of the first times I'm having to preach with my glasses on. So this is a whole new world to me, so I have to keep doing this. But it is a great privilege to be here tonight, and I wanna thank the eldership team for the invitation to come and preach. It's always a joy to do that as we continue on our journey through the book of Galatians. And so that's where we are tonight. Tonight we are actually beginning chapter two. We have finished chapter one. Remember Galatians is Paul's letter and he's writing to those churches that he had himself planted and established. And in chapter one, what we saw him doing is he was telling the story of his own life. He was telling, kind of reminding the Galatians how Christ and the gospel had become real to him. And the one thing we've seen him do, he's urging the Galatians to stay true to the true gospel. And he's been reminding them that there is only one gospel and that we don't get to change it or tweak it or add to it. There is a true gospel. And so last week when Ryan preached, he gave us a working definition of the gospel. And I'd love us to just kind of look at that again because it sums up what is the gospel that it is by grace alone. So just kind of pause there, it's by grace, it's a gift. It's not anything that we deserve, it's certainly not anything we can earn or anything we can do to get it. No, it is a gift to us. And it's through faith alone. What we do is we put our faith, our belief, in Christ alone. We sang it just now, we said, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Because it's Christ and what he did through his death and resurrection. That's how our sins get forgiven. That's how righteousness has been achieved for us. Again, not what we did, but what Christ has already done. And that is how our sins have been forgiven and we have been united with our heavenly Father. That the beauty of this gospel, it's not just about not going to hell. <laughs> no, the, the, the aim is to have this restored relationship with the Father. And it's a relationship of intimacy. It's a relationship of delight. And that we get to enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. And so if you're a guest here tonight, maybe you're kind of looking into church, you're looking into what this faith um, thing is, then right there is an excellent summary of what we believe because that is the gospel message around which we center our lives and around which we center this church. We call ourselves a gospel-centered church that is at the center of everything that we do. And then we get to chapter two and it begins with this word, then, then. So it's like the next part of the story. We're in this autobiographical section. Just before this, Paul has told us about his dramatic encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, where he met with Christ and his life was radically turned around. Remember, up until that point, he had been persecuting Christians, and then he actually meets Christ. And he also talks in that autobiographical section about his first trip to Jerusalem, where he had gone up to meet the apostles for the first time. Now he's carrying on the story. He's telling us the rest of the narrative where he travels again to Jerusalem, this time for his second trip. And um, he's going to Jerusalem to bring a financial gift to the church, to bring some financial support because there's been a famine and um, the kind of Christians in the, in the church, some of them have been really severely impacted. And we read about that in Acts 11. It says, now in, those in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit 
that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Saul is Paul's other name. And so you'll see interchangeably kind of through Acts, sometimes he's called Saul, sometimes he's called Paul. Now that, that famine happened in 46, 47 AD. That's when historians record it happening. It was a really severe time, a very difficult time. And so Paul goes up to Jerusalem with Barnabas to bring some um, kind of money to help the situation that is um, emerged there in, in Jerusalem. He wants, they wanna come and assist those Christians who are in need. And while he's in Jerusalem to bring this gift, he meets privately with the apostles and he kind of talks to them about the, the gospel message that he has been sharing with the Gentiles. And that is what we are reading about here in Galatians 2. And so that's kind of the background to get us to this point of the story. And what we're gonna do is as we explore this section of the letter tonight, what I'd like us to do as we work through the text is to do that by focusing on the people and the relationships that are mentioned in this section of the text. And so we're gonna look at these three groups of people. We're gonna look at Paul and Barnabas and Titus, this group who are traveling together up to Jerusalem. We're gonna look at the group of troublemakers that Paul refers to as the false brothers. And then the last group we're gonna look at is the apostles, the leaders in the Jerusalem church. And so I've called today's message, Gospel Relationships. Gospel Relationships, because we can learn from these people and the relationships that they have with one another. And as we do that, we're gonna kind of unpack and apply the example of their relationships to us here at Common Ground Bosch. So that gives us the structure for tonight. We're gonna look at each group, and in that last group when we get there, we're also gonna unpack the theme of partnership, because that's one of the things we see happening there. Right, sound good? Okay, let's pray and then we'll dive right in. Yeah, Lord, whenever we come to your word, we just wanna do so with an openness to hear from you. And so we pause and we deliberately invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to us tonight, to come and shape our hearts, to shape our minds. We wanna be the kind of people who are responsive to your word. It's not just a book, it is the book. And so we come and we sit under the word and we ask that you would teach us tonight. Amen. Okay, let's look at the first two verses of tonight's passage. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. And so here is the first group of people. We've got Paul, we've got Barnabas, we've got Titus. And I want us to start with Paul tonight. So obviously he's the central figure in the letter. And as we are exploring this letter, we're gonna learn a lot about Paul over the next few weeks. So far what we've seen is that Paul is, he is a fervent, passionate man. You may have picked that up in chapter one. And he is full of frustration and righteous anger at what is happening in the situation in Galatia. And so we've seen him kind of contending for the Galatians, fighting for them, but that is out of a deep love and a deep care and concern for them. But what we see in these opening verses is we actually see the reason why Paul goes up to Jerusalem. And he says, I went up because of a revelation. 
And that's important to remember that Paul isn't going to Jerusalem because he wants to validate what he's doing with the apostles. It's not like they've summoned him in and he's been called to the principal's office or been told to report to headquarters immediately. No, he doesn't, he isn't summoned to come. He goes because he believes God has told him to go. God has directed him to do so and then he makes the trip to align to what God has told him. And we don't really know what that revelation was. Maybe he had a personal revelation in his own time of prayer and the spirit moved. Maybe it's referring to that revelation that Agabus had. We were, we're told that, she got, that he, she, he got that revelation by the spirit. And uh, then maybe Paul kind of heard that revelation and waited for himself. So we, we're not exactly sure, but what we know is that Paul is desiring to be led not by human will, not by human decision, but he is responsive to the will of God. And I think that's just such a beautiful example to us tonight. That's what we can take from Paul, that Paul is attentive to God. He's attentive and responsive. He's listening out for what God is saying. And then when God speaks, he listens and he obeys. And he aligns his life, he aligns the activities of his life to be in accordance with the will of God. And I think that's a powerful example. Yes, he's going for a very practical reason. He's going to bring money, but even that practicality is done from a place of revelation. What we'll also see here is that Paul is going back after 14 years, it says. His previous trip happened, 14 years have passed, now he goes back. 14 years, I mean, that's a significant amount of time. What has he been doing for those 14 years? For 14 years, he's been busy doing what God had told him to do, to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He's shown this kind of long-term commitment to what God has called him to do. And I know that 14 years might sound, whoa, that's a long time. I think we live in a culture where like, oh, I'll commit six months maybe, and then we'll see how we're doing. That's the kind of, oh, a quick exit. But that's not what we see from Paul. And so I wanted to say to you, I think a number of you might be starting out in something. Maybe you've started serving in an area of ministry. Maybe you've started to do something. You know, the start of something is always quite novel. It's always quite fun. But what we see from Paul here is that there's a commitment and a steadfastness. And I'm not saying that you have to be in that area of ministry for 14 years, but I am saying let's learn from Paul and let's have that same sense of longevity and steadfastness in the things that we feel God is calling us to, that we are committed to them. And so that, those are the two things I want us to take from Paul tonight. There's so much we could learn from him, but tonight we're gonna take, he is attentive to God and the things of God, and he is in it for the long haul. And we can learn something from his commitment and his steadfastness. Now let's look at Paul's traveling companions. It says, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So let's talk first about Barnabas. Now the first time we read about Barnabas is in Acts 4. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so the first time we meet him, we see Barnabas, he's practically committed and involved in the church. He sells this field, he comes and brings all the money um, to, the, to the church leaders. But we also get a sense here of his character, of his nature, because he's been given this name, son of encouragement. 
And as we read the, re the rest of Acts, we find that that is true, that that is who Barnabas is. And he's mentioned a number of times through the, um, through the Acts of the Apostles, through the setting up of the early church, he has a vital role to play in the life of the early church. And actually, he is the one who helps to establish Paul's ministry right back in the beginning. Remember, Paul had been persecuting the Christians, and so people were skeptical. Oh, I don't know if he's really a Christian. And he is the one who actually convinces the other apostles. Let's read it in Acts 9. And when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took Paul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road Paul had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus Paul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so Paul went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And so we see that Barnabas, <coughs> he's the one who actually kind of opens that door of opportunity and then he's, he comes alongside Paul and strengthens and encourages him as he goes into this kind of ministry into the Gentiles. And he's the one who goes with Paul on Paul's first mission trip, Acts 13 and 14, we read about this, this powerful duo as they go off together to, to preach the gospel. And later, uh, and, and he's the one who actually calls for Paul in Antioch. He goes, oh, something's happening here. Paul's the gift we need. Paul, come, we need you. Come and be part of this. And so we see that this is Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. He comes alongside. He almost mentors a Paul in a sense. And he's encouraging him and strengthening him. And so Barnabas comes along with Paul to Jerusalem. It's almost like he's got Barnabas next to him as a witness to his life and as a witness to his ministry. I think it's a powerful example to us because we all need a Barnabas in our life. You know, we need someone who's right there alongside us, someone who knows us, someone who is a witness to our life and who can vouch for us, someone who brings strength, brings encouragement, calls out courage in us when we, when we need it. Maybe as I've described Barnabas, someone pops into your mind. You know, it could be a brother or sister in this room, maybe someone in your life group, maybe a friend, and they have been a Barnabas to you. And I, I know I'm already like picturing somebody because we can be deeply grateful for the Barnabases in our life. And of course, the challenge is to ask ourselves, well, am I being a Barnabas to someone else. This, this afternoon, our, our life group, we meet on a Sunday after church and we were having lunch together and we were talking about this point about Barnabas. And we, when we landed that time, we prayed and we said, God, won't you keep us alert this week to opportunities to be a Barnabas to somebody else? And I'd love to kind of share that challenge with you that as you leave here tonight, just be open to opportunities to encourage and to come alongside and to strengthen others. Barnabas, right, the second person is Titus. He says, I take Titus along with me. Now, I love how one commentator describes Titus. Titus is a full-on bacon-eating Greek, 
uncircumcised, pork sandwich loving, non-Jew lover of Jesus. Okay, so this is Titus. He's a Greek, he's a Gentile. He has been converted to Christianity because of Paul's ministry. And he kind of becomes one of Paul's co-workers working alongside him. He's well known in Crete and in Corinth. And later on, he becomes one of kind of the established leaders in the church. He goes on to pastor the church in Crete. And we see that this relationship, it's more than just a co-worker. It's not that they're like professional colleagues working alongside each other. No, we see there's this deep affection. And when Paul writes to Titus later, the book of Titus, he begins the letter by addressing him as, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. And so there's this family relationship, this close connection of trust and intimacy. And Titus, we can almost see him as an apprentice of Paul. You know, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's like he's saying that to Titus. Titus, come, follow me as I follow Christ and I'm gonna invest in your life. And so we see here a beautiful picture. Barnabas investing into Paul, Paul investing into Titus. It's this lovely picture of these relationships. So these are Paul's traveling companions. Who are your traveling companions? that you would say are walking with you and journeying with you in your faith journey. Because one of the amazing things about Christianity is that we don't get to live it out in isolation. No, God puts us in community. He puts us in a family. And then he says, that is how you live out your faith. You live it out in relationship. (coughs) One of the ways we frame it here at Common Ground is that we think there's some good questions that believers should regularly ask themselves when it comes to community. So here they are. Where do I belong relationally? Where do I belong? Where am I known? Who are my people? Where do I serve functionally? And I think that's what's so beautiful about this trio that we've been looking at. They belong relationally, they know each other really well, but they are also serving alongside each other. They are actually doing something for the gospel. And thirdly, where do I grow accountably? And we're gonna come back to that one a little bit later. But this is why we rave about life groups all the time, because most of the time that's where those three things happen, in a life group, where you are journeying together week in and week out, you're doing life together, and those are the places where you find I can belong relationally here, I can serve functionally, I can grow accountably. And so if you haven't yet joined a life group, Join a life group, okay? Don't hold back, don't like fall into that trap of splendid isolation. And before I move on to the next group, oh, I do, yes, sorry, I wanna add a fourth question there, coming out of Paul. Who am I discipling and investing in? So who is my Titus? Who is someone in my slipstream that I'm coming alongside to encourage and to shape and to mentor? And that happens in all kinds of ways in the life of this community, formally and informally. We have kind of mentorship journeys, but it also just happens through friendship and relationship and brothering and sistering, where we have a tightest relationship with someone, where we are discipling and investing in others. So we see here this beautiful picture amongst these three men of this beautiful kind of gospel relationship, a healthy gospel relationship in action. And before I move on from them, I wanna just talk about one other discipleship model that we use here at Common Ground. And you may have heard about it. It's simply called a group of three. 
And the name kind of explains what it is. It is a group of three, although sometimes it can be four, so that's where it gets confusing. But the name pretty much sums it up, a group of three people, it's a self-created group. There isn't a formal program, there isn't a formal structure or formula that we follow. And that group creates a group, and they figure out how regularly should we meet, once a week, once every two weeks, um, once a month. And that group, usually the same gender, often in the same life stage, but not always, that group then journeys together. and gets alongside each other and says, okay, well, how can I pray for you? Where are you struggling? How can I hold you accountable? What's God been saying to you? How do I help you discern what God's saying? And just come alongside and encourage each other. And because it's a, a smaller group, there can be amazing transparency and vulnerability. And I know a number of people in this room are part of a group of three. And I think that we can see this group as maybe one of the original groups of three in the Bible. And so if that idea resonates with you, you don't have to wait for a program to be announced. You don't have to come sign up. No, go find two people and say, do you wanna be in a group of three with me? That's how it works. Right, let's move to our second group, the false brothers. Verse four, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And so we've seen the church has been infiltrated by these false teachers. And Paul talks about them in, in chapter one, he referred to them as those who trouble you. In chapter five, he says, those who unsettle you because these false teachers have brought in a false gospel and that is this requirement to be circumcised. Remember that the first Christians came from a Jewish background. Either they were Jewish or they had converted to Judaism. And circumcision meant everything to the Jewish people. It was the sacred mark of Jewish identity. It was the way, the kind of symbol of salvation for them. And in Genesis 17, the teaching was, was that was how you determined whether somebody was in or outside the covenant. That was the visible sign of belonging to the people of God. And so in the past, if a Gentile had decided to become Jewish, he had to be circumcised because that was what the law required. But later on, what we see is that the converts, the Gentile converts have no Jewish background at all. So here in Galatia, also in Antioch where Paul was, and in the mind of some of the Jewish Christians, this caused a problem because they were like, oh no, you accept Jesus, but then you live it out by being a good, moral, law-abiding, upright Jew and that includes being circumcised. And these men are sometimes called Judaizers because they confuse Judaism with Christianity. And we see Paul referring to them as false brothers. Brothers because they claim to be Christian, but false because they are bringing in a false gospel. And he says they are enemies of our freedom. They have added to the gospel message and they have created division and confusion in the church. And we see in these verses that Paul kind of borrows his language from the world of espionage. He says they are conducting these covert operations. They have secretly snuck in. They've infiltrated the church. They are like undercover agents. But they are more than just spies or informants. You'll see the language that Paul uses. He says, so that they might bring us um, into slavery. He describes them with a strong language. He says, they're like slave traders. They're trying to enslave us again. 
And he says they're conspiring to hold the church hostage. They're trying to enslave the church to the demands that Christ has set them free from. So Paul has been preaching the good news. He's been preaching about the cross and the empty tomb and how Christ has met all the requirements of the law. So circumcision is not needed anymore. What is needed? Faith in Christ alone. That's it. And so that is why Paul is telling the Galatians the story of when he went to Jerusalem with Titus. He took Titus, the bacon-eating Gentile that was uncircumcised, and he took him to Jerusalem, to the holy city of the Jewish people. Why did he do that? He did that because he wanted to kind of almost have him as a test case, an exhibit. He's like, here's Titus, he's a Gentile, he's met Jesus, now what? Does he ha- is that enough? Or do you want him to be circumcised? Does he still have to meet the requirements of the law? And of course, in that discussion, the the apostles agree, no, (laughs) circumcision is not needed. And in verse three, we read, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And so we see in these verses, Paul dealing with heresy. And so he has quite a strong direct tone And what this group of people remind us of is that we can also do this. And and obviously, hopefully, it's not to the same degree, okay? We're not saying that everyone here is kind of coming with heresy. But I think it can still be dangerous where we fall into the trap of trying to add something to the gospel. Maybe it's our own expectations or our own requirements. And subtly or not so subtly, we start to add that to what it means to really be a Christian, And often it will come out of our own experience. Maybe it comes from our own traditions or our own cultures, kind of our way of doing things. And then we start to say, well, that thing is vitally important. Maybe it's a certain experience of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a stylistic thing. Oh, this is how you should pray, or this is how you should worship. Maybe it's a doctrine. Maybe it's a way of behaving. And we say, oh, you should definitely do this, or you should definitely not do this. And we start to say that thing, oh, that is what makes you a Christian, a real Christian. And the danger there is that we start to take something, often it's something that's good in and of itself, but we elevate it. And we start to say that that's vital for salvation. But it's not, because how did we start with the gospel message is, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is Christ plus nothing. And so this group of false brothers is a good kind of warning to us not to try and add anything to the message of the gospel. Let's move to the final group. These are the apostles, the church leaders in Jerusalem. We're gonna read an extract and what I've done is I've taken out some of the verses just to kind of condense it. We'll come back to the others just now. It says, I set before them though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. And so here in this passage, we see James, Cephas, that's Paul's, um, Paul, Peter's Aramaic name, 
and John. And they are three apostles. They are men who lived with Jesus and were his disciples and walked alongside, alongside him. And they are leaders in the church and you will see that Paul refers to them as pillars. They are foundational, they're important. And just like the physical pillars in the temple, they are like metaphorical pillars in this new temple, the people of God. And what you'll notice here, what is happening, and maybe it comes through in the translation, is that it's full of convoluted Greek because Paul's trying to navigate, he's trying to navigate an appropriate respect for these leaders, because they are pillars, but also not to give them undue authority or undue influence. He doesn't wanna over-idolize them. And that's a beautiful example to us of the healthy attitude towards leadership. If we think of our attitude towards leadership on a spectrum. So on the one end, we have kind of an over-deference towards leadership, and on the other end, an under-deference towards leadership. So when we over-defer, what we can do is we can over-idolize leaders, and we start to forget that they are human and they are fallible. And so we can be easily disappointed if leaders fail or fall or let us down. And what can also happen in this over-deference place is that we start to kind of, this very high elevated admiration or flattery or praise of leaders, an over-deference. On the other end of the spe spectrum is this under-deference to leadership. And I think that's an, a, a kind of a worldview that's far more common in our culture today, where you under-defer to leadership. You go, no, leadership's not needed and I'm certainly not gonna invite leadership into my life or any kind of accountability. Um, a person who's um, under-deferring of leadership can even be quite rebellious towards leadership. I don't want that. And very, very critical of leaders. So that's the kind of spectrum. And maybe you can relate to that. One of the commentators, Thomas Schreiner, he writes this. On the one hand, Paul recognizes their leadership and respects the position that God has given them. We must beware of a rebellious and stubborn spirit that refuses to allow anyone to function as an authority over us. God has appointed leaders in our lives for our good and our sanctification. On the other hand, Paul also recognizes their fallibility. No human being takes the place of God and every leader, no matter how holy, is still a sinner and remarkably flawed. We are to love the leaders God has placed over us without worshiping them. We should not despise them when we see their faults, for we all fall short in many ways. If we know ourselves, we are keenly conscious of our many sins. Hence, we should not be surprised to find that our leaders too are fallible. And so maybe just think about where you would sit on that spectrum of over-deference or under-deference because what Paul gives us is a beautiful example of healthy deference, where he is deferring to them and recognizing their leadership, but he's not over-idolizing them in any way. And he has a very healthy attitude towards them. But it's not just his attitude, it's the way he teams with them and the way he partners with them. And so I wanna kind of land this section by looking at this theme of partnership and what we can learn from Paul's relationship with these apostles. So the first thing we see is a healthy accountability, a healthy accountability. So Paul goes to these leaders openly 
And when he meets with them, he kind of sets his gospel before them. He's got Barnabas, remember Barnabas can vouch, this is what Paul's been preaching, this is what he's been saying. He's got Titus who's been reached through the message and it's like he says, here's my mission, here's my ministry, here's what I say, let's talk about it. Let's talk about whether this is the right thing. Have I run my my race in vain? That's what he wants to know. And he comes and he's open. And I love that example for us because we know that Paul, he's accountable to God. (laughs) He's been called to obey God. And he is living out this calling, this this mission, because he believes God has called him. So he's still been true to that, but he's not in isolation. He's choosing to come and be in relationship with these apostles. He's choosing to get close to them and to ask their perspective and to learn from them and to get their advice. And again, the beauty of community, the beauty of our Christian life is that it's lived out in community. It's lived out in relationship. So remember that third question, where do I grow accountably? Well, when we're in a Christian community, when we're in a spiritual family, we have relationships of accountability all around us. Within um, a local church community, we have those in spiritual authority over us. So we have elders and leaders whose leadership we invite. They are trusted voices to us. And so we go and we say, I need wisdom, I need perspective, I need to get clarity on something, won't you help me? And that is the joy of being in a local church community, a relationship, a healthy relationship of accountability. And the local church has got accountability to trusted voices too. So common ground, we're part of a network of churches called Advance. Um, And here's a map that kind of illustrates the churches all over the world who are part of this network. But within this network, we have some trusted voices that, that we call on and we're accountable to them and we invite their perspective and their wisdom, particularly in a moment of decision or where we need clarity. And if you've been here for a while, you'll have met some of them because they come here regularly. So on the next slide, there's three of them. Alan and Renell, who lead a church in Los Angeles. Matt and Grace, who I couldn't find a photo of. They lead a church in the UK. And Donnie and Jill, who lead a church in North Carolina. And um, these are people who are friends to us. And so they've been in this church and they've preached here on a Sunday and they've met with our leadership teams and they are accessible to us and we regularly contact them and ask for their perspective and we are in relationship with them. They are our trusted voices. Of course, um, we have Rigby. So some of you have met Rigby. Rigby is kind of like the founding father of our family of churches and so he has a unique apostolic role within the common ground family of churches and he is a voice to us. He knows us really well so we trust him. And um, he, he plays that role to common ground churches here in Cape Town, but also to other churches all over the world. And one of our newer friendships, our newer growing kind of relationships is with a gentleman called Steve. Steve and Debbie were actually with us this morning. They were here in our 10.30 meeting. They're here in Cape Town. They're coming tomorrow. They're gonna spend some time with our staff. They're gonna meet with the base eldership team. Uh, Steve leads a church in the UK called Kings. Some of you will have heard of Andrew Wilson. He's the teaching pastor there. And they're part of the New Frontiers kind of world. Steve gives leadership to that that, um, New Frontiers family. And this is a new kind of growing friendship, a new trusted voice to us. And we're excited to see how the beauty and the health of accountability can be played out there. 
And before I move on from this point, I just, I just wanna pause there because as I was preparing for tonight, I just got the sense that there's some of you who are new to this kind of gospel relationships and accountability and leadership and even Barnabas and Titus having those incredible relationships. You're right at the start of your journey. And I just felt like God wanted to awaken a hunger within you for relationships like that. And at the start of your journey, commit to finding relationships like that, to being part of a life group, to getting plugged in, to not hold back and be distant, but to actually say, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna dive right in. And I know there might be others in the room who are more hesitant because maybe you've been hurt, maybe you've been let down in the past, and maybe this is an area where there's some kind of hurt. And I just felt like God wanted to restore to you the beauty and the joy of relationships that look like this in the gospel. So let's go to the second thing, which is we've seen this healthy accountability and now we see the joy of team, the joy of team. So what is the end result of this discussion between Paul and the apostles? Verse seven, on the contrary, when they saw that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And so we see the end result is this right hand of fellowship. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> so in this giving of the right hand of fellowship, what's happening is the apostles are recognizing that Paul has been entrusted by God to share the gospel with the Gentiles and that he has on his life a special God-given grace to do that. So they recognize that and they go, yes, that's what God's gifted you for. And they recognize that that is equal to Peter's calling. Peter's called to the circumcised. He's gonna work amongst the Jewish community. And Paul has been called to the Gentile community. They're both kind of apostolic areas of, of where they're gonna work. But there's the sense of gospel partnership. We've got the same gospel. We've got the same message. We're just gonna express it in these different spheres, these different areas. And so we get this picture of them, the right hand of fellowship. You can almost imagine, maybe it's a high five. I imagine it's like a big hug or something where they go, yes, we're in this together. And I can imagine they were all strengthened and encouraged because of this conversation. I see God's using you. Yes, God's using me, but He's also using you. Great, go for it, go take the gospel. And they're excited and they're freshly commissioned and they go out with joy. And that's part of what today is about. It's reminding us we're part of something bigger, that within the kingdom of God, there's this beautiful co cooperation. We're not on our own. If you look around you in the room, these are all people you are on partnership, you are in partnership with. So God's placed each one of you very uniquely in a specific place. He's put you in a neighborhood. He's put you in a family. He's put you in a network of relationships, maybe a place of study, a place of work, and he said, there, I've placed you to take my gospel message into that place. And it's the same message, it's the same gospel, but each one of us is working into a different sphere. God is using all of us to take the gospel into the city of Cape Town. And we get to celebrate what God is doing in other churches and other contexts. 
So that's one of the joys of being part of the Advanced Network is that we get to hear the stories of how God is working and what God is doing and how the gospel is going out. Today we get to celebrate that we partner with the other common ground churches in the city. We're part of a family. And so these are our brothers and sisters. And there's a, the next slide shows you that there they are, the congregational leaders of each common ground church and they are busy on mission in the city. We're so grateful that we're not doing this on our own. And of course, these are just the common ground churches. We know that there's a number of other fantastic churches in the city that we would consider partners in the gospel. Moving a bit further, across the nation, these are kind of some of our, I've just chosen a few to highlight, there are many. Arno and Claire are in East London, Greg and Wendy are in PE, Gareth and Nadine lead a church called Reconciliation Road in KZN, and Imbonisi and Tashinga lead a church in Kenya called One Tribe. And all of these are friendships, relationships, and we partner with these churches and pray for these churches. Uh, these are just a few of them. This um, past Sunday, this next slide, um, all these churches got to do what we're gonna get to do tonight, to pray for other churches in this nation of ours and in this continent of ours. And so that's a beautiful picture of, of one of the things we get to do. We get to pray for each other. We get to stand with and come alongside each other. Sometimes as a church, we will share resources. We will give financially and get behind something. We send teams, we send people to go and serve and strengthen. And one of the relationships I'd like to highlight is with Madagascar. So here you see Blake and Rachel and their family and Tank and Jaela and their family. And um, some of you may recognize them, some of you may know them, but these couples represent kind of a network of churches in Madagascar. And we've been working into the nation of Madagascar for 21 years. And these are the people that we partner with and we pray for and we serve and we strengthen. And so in 10 days time, Ryan is going back to Madagascar. I think it's his 19th trip, 20th, I don't know. Anyway, number of trips. And he's super excited to be going and we are sending him with joy. And we're saying go and be a blessing in that place as he goes to their hosting an advanced conference, the first advanced conference in Madagascar. And Ryan's going with a team of people to go and serve and strengthen and encourage and come alongside those churches the joy of team, that we're working together. Have you ever seen this cheesy acronym? Team, together, everyone achieves more. And yes, it's cheesy, but I do love that that kind of sums up what's happening here in gospel partnership, that together we can do so much more than we could on our own. And so they've established this clarity, there's unity, there's gospel partnership, whoop, whoop, yay. But before Paul goes, there's almost like a culmination and they go, wait, only, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And isn't it incredible that they wanna emphasize this before Paul goes, the importance of remembering the poor. Remember, these are apostles, they are disciples, they've been with Jesus, they've lived alongside him and they've seen his heart for the poor. And so it's so essential that they say, oh, before you go, let's make sure that we continue to do this. And it's so important that you think, oh, we only got to this now, what's going on? We're actually gonna dedicate a special week to this later in the series. And we're gonna come back and we're gonna apply this verse, we're gonna unpack it and we're gonna say, what does this verse mean for us as believers and as a local church? So watch out for that in the weeks to come. Right, let me just sum up as we close. So tonight we've looked at the people, we've looked at the relationships 
and we've looked at these three groups of people, Paul and Barnabas and Titus, and the beauty of their close relationships, their co-working relationships with one another. We looked at the false brothers and how they are a caution to us and a warning to us to not add anything to the message of the gospel. And then we looked at the apostles and Paul's attitude towards them as leaders, but also his partnership with them and how that is expressed in this joy of teaming together, of healthy accountability as they live out this kingdom partnership.